0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, good morning. It's very nice to be back here on a Tuesday morning, especially a morning that has this kind of quality of light. Uh, is, you know, I think it's a little bit unusual to have rain this time of year, um, and I'm enjoying it. And coming up on 280, there were these amazing rainbows, you know, over Sand Hill Road and kind of over these, and uh, and, and I was I was thinking that if I were if I hadn't been coming to IMC, this morning, to sit with you and uh, talk, I would have missed those rainbows, <laughs> so, so. Um, I've just come from our retreat center, and some of us, some of us here this morning, were at our, uh, we had a seven-day meditation retreat. Um, at our retreat center in Santa Cruz. And one of the delights out of many delights of being there was being able to sit with the rain, sit with the sound of the rain. And it was so, at times it was so loud and it just like, you know, blanketed everything and, uh, came into our hearts and it was lovely. So, um, One of the aspects of this practice, of this kind of meditation practice that I appreciate is uh, how personal it is. You know, there's that, um, we're not aiming to sort of take our experience and fit it into some structure, fit it into some box, fit it into some you know, pre-arranged, pre-ordained kind of uh, scheme. Um, rather, we are uh, aiming to be with ourselves as we are, be with our experience as it is. And so it's this incredible kind of permission to really be with ourselves um, and look, 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 feel, sense, and be um, with the understanding that there's nothing wrong with this moment. There's nothing nothing missing, no mistake. Um, it may not be the way we want it to be. It may, you know, it may not meet some kind of expectation, some kind of idea we have, but when we can kind of relax those expectations, relax that thinking, relax those ideas, we can be, um, we can be with the moment. We can we can meet ourselves in a way that is fresh and um, that's intimate. Um, so, so something about this word intimacy, this closeness, um, in some of the Buddhist traditions, intimacy is a kind of synonym for awakening kind of synonym for enlightenment, to become intimate, to become intimate with ourselves, to become intimate with all things. So, I mean, I think that's a pointer for us in a way, to get closer, um, to, um, and to, and to be able to study what is it that, um, creates distance? What is it that keeps us separate? Um, So this kind of personal quality of Buddhist practice. um, And so there's this saying, to study Buddhism or to study the Buddha way means to study ourselves. It means to, that you know, it's not that Buddhism is out there in a book and we need to like, memorize all these ideas and, you know, and then somehow, in a way, bolt them on to our experience. But it's th- that it's truly, um, there is no Buddhism outside of ourselves and um, our capacity to simply be present with what's happening now. Um, so, so all of Buddhism is contained In this practice of meeting ourselves, studying ourselves. Um, One of the questions that came up on this meditation retreat, which which I very much appreciated, was someone saying, you know, I've been meditating here all week and I just feel like I've gotten more and more self-absorbed. You know, I'm just sitting and thinking about myself and feeling feelings and feeling sensations and Um, am I, am I doing it wrong? Is there some mistake here? Um, and I think it it doesn't, we don't need to be on a meditation retreat to think that maybe in some way, um, meditation can feel self-indulgent or self, self self-absorbed or something. Why should I just be sitting here with my eyes closed, feeling the sensations of the body, feeling the breath, when I could be out there, you know, saving the world, you know, or at least, you know, making more money. <laughs> or, 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 you know, um, helping others in some, in some very concrete, uh, definable, measurable way. Um, so it's a wonderful question, and it's a, and it's a. Um, you know, one of the things I said to her was that um, in meditation practice, um, yes, we notice all the different thoughts we think about ourselves. Yes, we're spending a lot of time in our own experience, um, but in all the moments of our life, in all the waking moments of our life, we're often thinking about ourselves. We're often caught up in some kind of dream about, which is usually has one starring character, which is me, (laughs) and what I want, what I don't want, what I fear, what I hope, what I need to get, what I need to get away from, Um, and so I would I would guess that the number of self-involved thoughts is not any higher necessarily in a kind of formal meditation practice than it is in our regular life. But the main difference is in meditation, we see it. We don't have the usual distractions, we don't have the option to kind of pull out our phone and just, you know go down some rabbit hole of whatever it is, the news or social media or researching something or calling or communicating with someone. You know, we're kind of here with ourselves. We're, we're alone in in a very profound, very powerful way. And so we get to notice our mind in a way that we don't usually notice it. We get to notice thoughts, you know, the things that we're thinking about. Um, so as we notice more and more and notice our minds, it's a great insight to say, wow, all of the I'm thinking all these thoughts and they're all about me. <laughs> you know, that's a great thing to notice. This is what the mind does. This is this is, you know, this kind of loop, infinite loop. Isn't that the apple apples campus? Infinite loop. This infinite loop of of mindstream, of self-referential thinking. And um, I often think that if I if I look at the kinds of thoughts I have in meditation, there's really just about four to six categories of thoughts, you know. There's planning, <laughs> there's, you know, there's kind of memory, there's, you know, there's a, f- there's a few different buckets. Um, But, so to begin to notice that, to begin to notice how the mind is, is very valuable. Uh, Sometimes I don't really, I'm not aware of a certain kind of um, emotional state, mood state, until I sit down and meditate. Then I think, wow, I'm thinking all about this thing that I didn't even realize. I was I was concerned with or preoccupied with but when I because usually thoughts create a world and and create a self and we just live in that world and take that world to be reality but in meditation we are able to little by little um, begin to notice the process of thinking you know Rather than what's the difference from being lost in the content of thoughts to shifting just oh thinking is happening wow I'm thinking a lot about you know this meeting I have to go to today or thinking a lot about this conversation with this person that happened yesterday or last week or just to notice you know and to be able to notice the impact of of what we think about and how that impacts the body, how that impacts our kind of energy and feelings. You know, and everything is so connected. Um, I was uh, recently looking up something to do with Chinese medicine because uh, a friend was was told by a Chinese medicine doctor that there was some imbalance in the heart and kidney meridian, or heart and kidney line, and this idea of the kidneys as a source of energy, and that has to do with the heart. And so I was just kind of curious, and I was looking this up, and, and one of the things that they said was that, or at least one of these websites said, is that when there's a blockage or an imbalance in this area, it sometimes has to do with her kind of emotional life and feeling like um, my purpose in life, or um, uh, you know, sort of looking f- looking for my purpose or looking to find my role and kind of feeling a little blocked in that area. And it was so interesting to me just to see that this this one system of thought and system of medicine makes this very strong connection between physical symptoms and physical kind of energy flow and our emotional life and how we see ourselves And, you know, so it's just one model, or one map of, of how to understand experience. But I can appreciate that from the perspective of meditation. Emotions and the physical body and the sense of self are so connected. You know, the thoughts we think affect the body and the way the body feels and the way the body, uh, condition of the body affects the mind and the kind of way we think. So, so this question of um, meditation practice, spiritual practice as um, studying ourselves and meeting ourselves in a certain way And um, so this teaching goes on to study Buddhism or to study the Buddha way is to study ourselves. Um, And to study ourselves means to forget ourselves. You know, so there's this way of, what what does it mean to look at ourselves, to meet ourselves, encounter ourselves in in a way that rather than leading to more self-absorption, more self-centeredness, more self-involvement, it leads to actually forgetting ourselves, to in some way going beyond ourself. Um, I think one one powerful illustration of this for me was um, actually expressed in a, an experiential art exhibition that I saw about 12 years ago at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And some of you might remember this or have heard about it because it got a lot of publicity. But it was an, it was an exhibition called The Artist is Present. And what it was, it was in the big atrium, the big lobby of the MoMA. And the artist is a woman, her name uh, is Marina Abramovich. I think that's her name, Uh, Abramovich or Abramovich. And she had two chairs set up in the center of this big empty lobby. And she sat in one chair and the other chair was empty. And the, the concept, the way, this, the way this art installation unfolded, was that anyone was invited to sit in the chair opposite her. And so she was sitting here, and the, and the person was sitting, you know, empty chair was, was right in front of her. And anyone was invited to sit in the chair in front of her and, and just stay there as long as they wanted. And the two people... The artist and the, you know, the guest, the viewer, whatever, just looked at each other in silence. And well, actually she was in silence and she was looking at each other. I think the person could do whatever they wanted. Basically, most people, um, it seems that most people just looked at her and she looked at them. And they just sat in silence in this way, looking, beholding each other, looking at each other. No words, um, and what was amazing was what would happen in this in this kind of energy field that people would sit. Some people would start to cry. Would start to, um, you know, it was like little by little. The mind this the, the kind of pendulum of the mind that thinks and has all these stories and which just slowly, slowly, slowly like come to a rest, come to rest, and what it what it seemed like and what it felt like was it became this this very um, pure moment, this very it, almost like a naked moment of just this vulnerability and this beauty of two people meeting each other. You know, no words, but this, um, this, this contact, this seeing. Um, And uh, I heard that there was a a book put together because a photographer was behind the artist, was behind Marina Brahmach. And Taking portrait photographs of each person, you know, and that kind of feeling that would little by little come out in each person of just sitting there and being completely seen, you know. and so in a you know kind of certain moment was captured of each of the of each of the participants and was put in, together in a book. Um, and so I happened to be in New York City at that time and I, I went twice to this exhibition. It was so moving, it was so powerful and there was also such a long line of people waiting to <laughs> to, 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 to sit with the artist and just have this kind of um, experience and this exchange. But the, I am trying to remember and the second time I went, I did have a chance just for a few minutes to sit down. And, you know, person could sit as long as they wanted and she came in before the you know this opened before the rest of the museum opened so it was something like she was there 12 or 14 hours a day every day for i think six weeks or eight weeks not she didn't get up she didn't go to the bathroom she just sat in this chair and um i don't know if anyone has ever had the opportunity of doing something like this, um, often in a kind of training or a kind of workshop, or especially in the meditation business, (laughs) meditation field, um, we do something called dyads, and dyads are like pairs of two people, and you just sit with each other and you look at each other, and sometimes there's a question or sometimes something... But what I found is the most powerful thing is just to be in silence and look at each other. And you're seeing, you're the seer, but you're also the seen, you know. And it's this, it can invoke, it can evoke this very powerful of being, it's like you're fully seen and you're also seeing and it's, there's, there's something um, there's a way that like concepts fall away and in my experience of it the stri- the, if I could put words to it it's like every single person you behold like this becomes beautiful you know, it's like the essence of the person just comes forth. And it's an essence that is a, it's a beauty, but it's a kind of incomparable beauty. Meaning it's not a beauty according to some standard of, of beauty or some idea of beauty. It's a beauty that is because it's like what you're seeing is so fully itself. You know, there's a perfection in that, um, The seer and the seen become one, yes, but it's like there's just this perfection in in what is seen. Um, It's suchness comes forth. Suchness is kind of this little bit unusual word. This is like, but it's like the the quality of something that it's so fully itself, so uniquely itself. It just, it can't, words don't reach it. It can't be compared to anything. So this quality of suchness comes out and every single person is just so beautiful and and so it's a gift to be able to see that way and it's also such a gift to be seen you know so what is it to be seen and to really feel like this other person is looking at me but is is really kind of in a way looking through me or Looking in a way that honors this suchness, honors this quality that in a way is so personal, but it's also so universal, you know because suchness is actually the way things are, suchness has this universalness to it that everything is all all things are is what they are in their suchness. Um, and we tend to kind of categorize and, and slice and dice experience and label it and all these things. And that's a, that's a good thing to do. We have to do that in some way. But what is it to, um, be able to behold someone and behold something in its suchness, in its kind of purity? So, um, so that that was called the artist is present. And, and and what I feel in meditation practice, this is what we're doing. This is um, but rather than necessarily sitting with another person, you know, and beholding each other in this way, we're sitting with ourselves. We're beholding ourselves. And what is it to offer that? That kind of quality of attention, that kind of quality of um, you know of of perceiving the perfection, you know, perceiving the the suchness that is has nothing to do with concepts. It has nothing to do with some way you know stuffing our experience into some uh, some, some category or, or changing our experience in some way, but to really behold ourselves. Um, so, it, it did make me think of, of this poem. This is, this is Mary Oliver. It's called The Buddha's Last Instruction. He says, Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha, before he died. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha, before he died. I think of this every morning as the east begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness to send up the first signal. A white fan streaked with pink and violet Evergreen. An old man, he lay down between two sala trees, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour. The light burns upward, it thickens and settles over the fields. Around him, the villagers gathered and stretched forward to listen. Even before the sun itself hangs, disattached in the blue air, I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life. And then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers on fire. Clearly I'm not needed yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Slowly, beneath the branches, he raised his head. He looked into the faces of that frightened crowd. Um, I love this This. Line. Um, clearly, I'm not needed. Hmm. Yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. You know, and I think that that is like a kind of crystallization of the insight of this practice, this um, which is so personal. And so intimate and so you know um, uh, inseparable from our own experience, and yet it's so impersonal, you know it's so universal, it's so um, uh, you know, it, beyond ideas into this realm of suchness so i'm you know I'm not needed I you know. Each of us is kind of a grain of sand, right? You know, you know, in one way, Um, and yet, um, this—we each have this incomparable value, this absolute value—that no one else can be us. No one else can have the experience we have, and maybe no one else can do what we need to do in this life, in this world. That. You know, each of us has our own place and our own role. And so to have that kind of sense of um, agency and responsibility and the sacredness of each of us, while at the same time, you know, we're grains of sand. So this kind of personal and impersonal nature of the self, Um, And this idea of, um, you know, it's translated in different ways of the Buddha's, you know, final teachings being make of yourself a light. You know, sometimes this is translated as be a light unto yourself, be a lamp unto yourself. Um, There's a different translation which I'm really fond of which is, um, live as if, uh, what is it, live as though you are light. You know, dwell, you are the light itself. It's not like, you know, there's this inner light inside of us, or, you know, we're going to kind of shine a light onto ourselves to, to look at ourselves. It's actually, and if you look at the Pali, it's like um, dwell or live with the self as light. You know, so, what does it mean to, to say the self itself is light? Um, and light is something that, um, you know, light itself has no shape, right? It has no form. Um, it has no edges, it has no boundary. Um, we can't grasp light. We can't cling to light. You know, and light itself is known in relationship and how, it's, how it illuminates things. So to say the self is light, you know, is an is a unusual thing. Usually, we think of the self as being something that has a very clear form, a very clear shape, a very clear boundary, um, and it's something we grasp to a lot. <laughs> you know, so to say, the self—the true nature of the self—is light. Is like this, this shift. You know, from from this personal uh, grasping to, you know, maybe this kind of beholding um, ourselves and beholding our experience in this kind of pure way, this, this, th- with this quality of presence and so we can perceive the suchness, we can perceive the uniqueness, we can perceive the perfection. Um, so it's like live with the self as light and trust only this. Buddha says that, live with the dharma as light and trust only this. Um, so, um, you know, dharma is a, is another word for truth, for what's true, what's real. Um, and And I just love this Using this um, image of light, and when I was driving this morning and I mentioned these rainbows, sometimes in 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 the Buddhist tradition, rainbows are presented as a uh, as a lovely example of emptiness you know and the the co-created conditioned nature of things, you know because you could say well is a rainbow real? Well, in some ways, I mean, it depends what you mean by real, right? It's certainly something we can perceive. It's certainly something that can be experienced. But is there some solid thing called rainbow? Is there, is there you know, um, a separate thing called rainbow? And we know very well that a rainbow only comes, only only appears when conditions are right when the conditions are there there has to be a certain quality of light and a certain is it water right you know there has to be water the, the way the light hits the water and, and it, that needs to be us right you know there has to be all these different things that come together and then wow you know the rainbow is there um, so maybe Maybe the self is something like that, comes together, you know, when the conditions are right, when the conditions are a certain way, and then when those conditions change, you know, it's not like the rainbow died, necessarily, but the rainbow, you know, it's just the conditions aren't there, and then the rainbow isn't there. Um... So this teaching goes on, to study, to study Buddhism is to study ourselves. To study ourselves is to forget ourselves. And that's what I think happens when we, like in that encounter, when we see another person so purely, so intimately, we see ourselves so purely, or we you know, are doing some activity and we just merge with the activity. You know, it's like the dancer becomes the dance. We're just so there. We're so in it. I think we all know that experience of just forgetting ourselves, forgetting about the world, forgetting time. You know, we're so there in the moment. So to study Buddhism is to study ourselves. To study ourselves is to forget ourselves. And to forget ourselves is to be awakened by everything to be illuminated by everything by all things you know it's like the way light illuminates everything you know light doesn't discriminate light doesn't it just everything is is revealed reflected so when we can forget this grasping self and enter into the moment in a kind of sincere way, pure way, vulnerable way, and just meet what's there. Um, We make ourselves available to be uh, awakened and it's not like it needs any special thing to awaken us, it's just we're awakened by everything. Everything is just uh, showing itself to us so maybe I'll just read this one more time this is uh, the Buddha's last instruction make of yourself a light said the Buddha before he died I think of this every morning as the east begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness to send up the first signal. A white streak, a white fan, streaked with pink and violet, evergreen. An old man, he lay down between two sola trees, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour. The light burns upward. It thickens and settles over the fields. Around him the villagers gathered and stretched forward to listen. Even before the sun itself hangs, disattached in the blue air, I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life. And then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers on fire. Clearly I'm not needed Yet, I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value slowly beneath the branches he raises he raised his head, he looked into the faces of that frightened crowd. So I think one of the uh, beautiful gifts of this practice is to at the same time discover um, the humility of, uh, that maybe we're not the center of the world and (laughs) center of the universe and, you know, this kind of sense of being one one grain of sand. Um, But at the same time, that grain of sand, this grain of sand, has a kind of inexplicable value that can't be replaced, can't be compared. And so what is it to see everything, everyone and everything as having this um, inexplicable value? We have we have time for questions if you if you like, you know. So Max, do you think that there's just as much value in waking up to an enlightenment but living in a cave and not not associating with anybody, but being like a, a monk or you know forest monk or a forest hermit as waking up and then coming into the world and helping other people. Great. Thank you for the question. Um, Well, in one of the one of the maps of Buddhist practice is something called the the, it's either 10 or 12 ox-herding pictures. But there are these pictures and kind of, um, they talk about um, the path of awakening, a path of practice. And I, I always am very moved by remembering that the very last picture is of the practitioner, of the person returning from the top of the mountain and coming back into the world, and coming back into the marketplace. And it said, with gift-bestowing hands, You know, so there's something to me that feels complete about that it's not enough to just have our own freedom, our own happiness, our own liberation, but actually something is completed by returning to the world and sharing that with the world. Um, And I think my understanding is that one of the reasons that the Buddha didn't... um, that the Buddha required his monks and nuns not to store food overnight. You know, so so monks in Thailand and and Southeast Asia, um, Burma, Sri Lanka, um, they're alms mendicants, so they're not allowed to to have money, they're not allowed to keep food. And so part of... So they have to kind of relate to people and, and leave the cave and go in and... Um, receive offerings, so they have their bowl, and they you know go in and they get food from the villagers, and it's a sort of it's a way of you know maybe in some way of keeping the the monastics connected to you know to the lay people and to the people, so they they can't just go off in their cave for months and months. Um, they they need to relate to people. And they need to practice in a way that people want to give them food, <laughs> you know, that people respect them. And so there's this kind of beautiful relationship between the two. So to me, that, feel, that makes sense. That feels kind of complete that, you know, we, we, we go inside and we meet ourselves in a certain way, but it's in the service of taking care of the world and being with others and sharing what we know. Um, that said, at some points in our practice, it may be very wise to spend a lot of time in meditation, maybe or on retreats, or doing something where we're really trying to um, figure something out inside of ourselves. You know, and then and then, you know, and at some point, we our practice shifts, and you know, and maybe it's more about service and being in the world. Um, at the monastery where I lived the kind of unwritten rule was that after I think it was like five years or something but after five years you had to go (laughs) you can't stay forever you know of course many people left earlier than that but the idea that you know there's a certain it's it's possible to get really comfortable (laughs) somewhere and feel really safe and really you know and that it's actually good to um, at a certain point, leave the monastery, leave the mountains. And it's not only about sharing our practice in the world, but kind of testing our practice. You know, we can get so comfortable and so cozy um, that it's good to go, you know, to, to go out and, and and test our practice and, um, you know, be um, exposed, you know, to, to, to the elements in different, different things so yeah thank you for the question maybe just say your name sorry Declan. thank you Um, I was kind of wondering um, how one might go about um, relating to or uh, getting access to a feeling of this inexplicable value, in the face of many sort of regrets of wrongdoings that we might have, yeah, and how the how those two parts of ourselves relate to each other, yeah, no, great, thank you. Um, you know, one of the things that we sometimes discover when we meditate and we're kind of meeting ourselves in this way is that. Um, you know we we start to almost in a way i don't know if it's reviewing our life, but anything that's sort of incomplete in the psyche, anything that might be a regret or a kind of something that's unfinished or undone um, can you know at some point might come into awareness and we might think, oh you know i I remember when I sat a first longer retreat, and I felt. I, I was just remembering certain situations and conversations that felt in that moment, like in the present moment, it felt like, oh, I didn't handle that very well or very skillfully, and all these kind of regrets or feelings. And what, what my, my experience, and you can see how, how it is for you, but for my experience, there was something very healing about that, I mean, there's one way of relating to it. We're just like, oh God, I'm terrible. I did all these bad things. Um, but that sort of just it tends to reinforce a kind of self-absorption or self-involvement. What is guilt? What is you know? That's a kind of self-involved, you know. It's an it's a it's a emotion that just sort of solidifies a sense of self. But there's a way of sort of welcoming those feelings into experience that's actually very healing, that could be very healing, like allowing it to come up, allowing whatever remorse, regret, grief, and allowing something to kind of be re-experienced in this moment with this level of awareness, which is a different level of awareness maybe than we had at that moment when it happened. And so it's like to... Allow that to be felt and kind of played out, and th- there's something that when it, when it's when it's met with awareness that is kind, that's compassionate, it's like something can be healed, something can be completed, and something maybe can be let go of. So all those incomplete, unfinished business, you know, in the heart starts to slowly get healed and slowly, because it's met in this moment. You know, even though something that happened in the past, it can be alive for us in this moment. And then our work is to meet that feeling with and to behold it in the same kind of way that, you know, the artist is beholding the viewer and the viewer is beholding the artist. To hold it in, in the heart, hold it in the body, with kindness, with care, with compassion. And sometimes it might mean feeling strong emotions. Often those emotions need to be felt and need to kind of move through in a way. Um, and But I, I have certainly felt a, a tremendous kind of healing and completion that can happen through that. Um, so I think it's an important process, and an important part of the practice, and it's, it's really meeting and including all of ourselves. And, and this is a big part of ourselves. So, um, if that's happening, you know, as much as we can to kind of welcome it and sit with it, to let our body be the, the container of it, and to hold, hold it, be willing to feel it. It's not a mistake. Um, and even though it's a, some kind of echo or reverberation of the past, it's alive now, It's if it is. You know, it's alive in this moment. And to be able to meet it with that level of awareness um, is a wonderful thing, so. Um, does that kind of, mm-hmm. yeah? Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. if you have a chance, I, someone told me there's a website about this exhibition called The Artist is Present. And I'm not exactly sure what they filmed or what they, but it was quite a wonderful, um, uh, I think expression with, with two people of, of in a way what we're, what we're offering to ourselves. You know, to be present for ourselves um, in this very pure, very healing way. Um, it's one of, the, one of the great gifts of this practice. So, okay. thank you very much.